Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm thrilled to have partnered with Mindful Chef in this second series of Food for Thought. Mindful Chef is all about convenience, quality, and balance, delivering simple, nutritious, and sustainably sourced fresh recipe boxes straight to your door. With dairy-free, gluten-free, and vegan recipes available, there is something for absolutely everybody. And what's more, for every meal sold, Mindful Chef donates a school meal to a child in need. You can save £20 across your first two boxes from Mindful Chef, plus get a free cookbook from the founders by heading to mindfulchef.com forward slash food for thought. Or if you use the code from this podcast, food for thought, when you order your first box, that will be applied. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, master practitioner, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode of this second series, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authorities in the world of well-being, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. We should all aim to eat a healthy, varied diet which matches our energy needs, and having worked with Olympic athletes, I've witnessed the complexities of performing at such a high level where getting their nutrition right is absolutely crucial. People often ask, what can they learn from these phenomenal people? So joining me to discuss if there really is anything we can do to enhance our own performance is James Collins, an elite sports nutritionist to some of the highest performing people on the planet. Hello, James. That's quite an introduction. Yeah, thanks, Rihanna. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely delighted to have you here. I think everybody loves the idea of enhancing their performance and... If you could just tell us how influential is nutrition to achieving your fitness goals and first of all, I suppose, why you're the person best placed for the job. Yeah, it's important. I guess maybe if I start with a bit of a backstory, you yeah. know, to add some context for yeah. the listeners. Um, so my, my background is in elite performance sport. Mm-hmm. So around about 10 years ago, UK sport were investing a lot of money into the Olympics and equipping you know our athletes with what they need to go and compete at the highest level. Yeah. So 
after completing my postgrad, I went straight into working with our Olympic teams. Oh, for the, was it 2012 then, back then? And it, it was to Beijing 2008. Of course, which yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of makes me feel a little bit old, <laughs> a few more grey hairs, <laughs> um, but which was great because at the start, we, as practitioners, got really deep exposure to working with different types of athletes. So mm. I really cut my teeth working in track and field. So we had the explosivity of some of the sprinters mm. and the endurance demands of some of the, the marathon runners, for example. And then as I worked through from there, I joined Arsenal in 2010. Yeah, my uh, fiancé is a big Arsenal fan, James. Oh, really? I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing sometimes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I stay out of that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I joined them and stayed for uh, as head of nutrition for seven seasons. And that was interesting, Rob, because we had a team of specialists working with the players. Mm. Now we have a team of physiotherapists, doctors, and nutrition obviously fits as a really important part within that. Yeah. And alongside that, we have our team of chefs as well to sort of, you know, translate some of these nutrition principles you know, for our squad of players. And then more recently along the way, uh, I've gone to two World Cups with England and with France as well. One successful, one unsuccessful. Uh, well, it, it's how you think about the performance that counts, isn't it? Rather than who wins. <laughs> exactly so. And more recently, Ran, and I guess, you know, one of the reasons for, you know, for being here today was I've started to translate the principles more into mm. other people with busy lifestyles to try and get more from their life to perform better. So different business people, different performing artists, and the demands are very similar. You know, whether you're a Olympic sprinter, mm -hmm. if you're a Champions League footballer, you know, playing on an evening, or whether you're just someone who's down the gym who wants to get more from their training session, more from their hit session, yeah. or even just doing your first park run. Yes. <laughs> it's the same underpinning principles. Mm, and I thought I found that really interesting when I was reading your book, um, obviously, The Energy Plan. And I think it's great because it does make it sound more accessible. Mm. it's not just something that's just for your athletes now. I think everybody cares and has an interest in today's society with... I mean, what do you think about pressure to look good? Would you say that's also driven a lot with um, nutritional interventions as well? Do you think that's the main reason people might pick up something like the energy plan? Yeah, I, I think so. I think uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Rhiannon, mm. too. I, I think we're, there's so much pressure at the moment within the public to, to look good. Mm. Not only have we got social media, but... Every picture on every magazine is torso out, looking good. Yeah. And I think, you know, primarily, that, that's not my, my role with working in performance. You know, we deal in using food for fuel to be able to deliver better performances in training during your working day. So it's completely back to front. But I think there's a little bit of a life cycle to this too, because probably 10 years ago within sport, we were very focused on weight. Mm. You know, a coach would send someone to see you because they're a little bit too heavy and nutrition was seen as... Okay, well, we've got to get them to lose weight. That's nutrition's role. Mm. And we had, you know, different sports we work with, like judokas, uh, boxers, and even jockeys who would mm. have to hit a certain weight to yeah. be able to go and compete. It's a lot of pressure there. A huge amount of pressure, and that's their lifeblood, right? Mm. So they have to hit a certain number on the scales. The big issue we were seeing was they were hitting a number on the scales, but by the time it came to go and do something, they had no energy. Yeah, the performance was affected. Uh, absolutely so. So I think through time now, we've really, uh, sport has invested more and more within nutrition. And these small, I mean, they tend to fringe marginal, marginal gains. I'm not sure that's always right. I think <laughs> yeah. this is about doing the basics well, really. Mm. But investing into using nutrition to de deliver these performances. Oh, it, it is literally music to my ears, everything you're saying, because I know that I find as a nutritionist, and I'm mm. sure you're exactly the same, that it is people coming to you a lot of the time and they associate the word nutritionist with weight loss rather than enhancing your mind and your body. It's a constant battle, I think, that we have um, to almost encourage enjoyment around food as well. And do you find, obviously, the performance being affected, how do you manage to strike that balance with your clients? So let, let's take the example of... Um, 
So for me, maybe a ballet dancer, for you, maybe a footballer that says they want to be a bit lighter on their feet. Mm. How would you strike that balance of actually talking to them and saying, look here, there's a bit of a compromise? Yeah. Do you have that discussion? Oh, it's it, it's so important. And I was mm. nodding my head what you were saying behind the mic before, <laughs> yeah. It's, um It's so important, right? Because fundamentally, my belief of being in sport for all these years and now stepping out to apply this within public is we deal too superficially with nutrition. Totally. Which leads to all of this confusion, right? So we've got all the media groups which are plugging agendas and we're talking superficially about carbs, mm. about fat. Mm. But I think primarily, you know, our you know, our premise with our performers is we want them to really understand their body. So, you know, and it's just using the phrase really if you if you don't you can't understand the engine, mm. how can you understand the fuels to put inside it completely education is empowering that's something I'm always talking about and I think for you in particular because you work very you work more so in the field of sports nutrition than I do you're, you're immersed in it it's your whole life mm-hmm. do you find there's a bit of a conflict between personal trainers and nutritionists when it comes to nutritional information that's out there yeah I think so I think sometimes this can be led in the wrong direction yeah I think we as nutritionists and I, I think we as sport and exercise nutritionists mm. have a bit of a responsibility to grow our profession now mm. at the moment because I think probably historically there wasn't the trust yeah. there uh, and I think now I mean sport and exercise nutrition is its own discipline totally mm. it's completely different to your average nutrition yeah absolutely so and I think I, I think for us it's time to demonstrate that you know the underpinning knowledge of the body's physiology mm. and how it responds to exercise and help equip personal trainers I mean the background we've come from within sport we work as a team so we we would term the co- these coaches strength and conditioning coaches yeah but effectively, the more I as a nutritionist understand about the program, mm. the more I can tailor nutrition to get the right result. So we're really working together, uh, really working together absolutely. And we have different specialisms, mm. right? Yeah. We let them prescribe the program mm-hmm. and we pre- prescribe the nutrition. And that, that way the client, the performer, the talent gets, gets more from it. I love that approach. I, I really like the aspect of working as a team. Mm. And I actually did a personal training course myself last year. So I'm officially oh, a right, PT. Great. But what is very interesting is I don't feel like a PT. I don't mm-hmm. feel it could just enable me to go and do that for a living. I also don't feel it gave me any nutritional information. So mm. as you say, we should be collaborating and working together. And that's why you're the perfect guest for this, day. So <laughs> if I could ask you, what do you think about eating at different times and focusing just on macronutrients? I think macronutrients, uh, I think it implies sometimes we can be a bit too simplistic or fixate a little bit. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the key principles that I've put together within the energy plan is just understanding the functions mm. of these fuels. So, so basically understanding the role of different food groups. So, for example, we've got our foods for energy. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, it's probably a great place to start because yeah. we've got this huge debate in the media. Should you be having more carbohydrates? Oh. Should you be having more fat? Yeah, and for people that don't know macronutrients, the word macro obviously meaning big. So your main things that you may be eating are your protein, your carbs, your fats, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And we've got this raging debate, but our physiology hasn't changed much over no. the last 20 years. So we still, our body still processes this food and breaks it down to energy in the same way. Mm. And we know that our body prefers to use fats as the main fuel source Mm -hmm. when the intensity is low. So maybe when we're playing a round of golf, Mm -hmm. when we're walking around with the shopping, our day-to-day type of exercise. And as the intensity starts to increase, we we use a mix of carbohydrate and fat. Mm. But the the really important thing I'd like to really land and emphasise is Mm. that when we're working at high-intensity training, for example, a hit session, Mm. For example, a spinning session, 
or you know, or even some sprinting, it prefers to use fat. Um, so it prefers to use carbohydrate as mm-hmm. the main fuel source because mm. it can break it down quicker as its preferred source. So yeah. we've got a rationale when we should be using these fuels, and we shouldn't be emitting one or the other. Yeah. You know, they they both have a place. There's way too much focus on what you're taking out than what you're putting in, isn't there? I that's, think. That's, that's so true. Yeah, completely in the media. And when it comes to different disciplines, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there. Maybe you do go to the gym, maybe do home workouts, maybe just walking every day, and that's totally fine. But would you change the different type of nutrition for a different discipline? Let's say if you're working with a swimmer mm-hmm. compared to working with a trying to think of something really starkly opposite you can help me out here oh, a ma- yeah a marathon runner perhaps there you go. let's or, yeah. go marathon runner <laughs> how would you tailor those two different approaches well what's the main thing you're thinking of straight away if they were your clients well effectively we're firstly looking at the demands that are placed on the body mm. so that really dictates the, the nutrition principles yeah so i guess the principles are, are always the same but like you know using the example of the marathon runner versus the swimmer for example mm. they might use more of these these fuels they might use mm. more of these slower releasing lower glycemic index carbohydrates Mm. so this being sort of the the main i guess step one of building our meal yeah but then i think for both our main our maintenance foods which are the second group our proteins are extremely important yeah for cellular repair and muscles and proteins are the basis of our structures and our shape isn't it yeah absolutely so and this is an area where the research has come on so much i think Mm. over the last five years we've got these amazing protein metabolism Mm. labs that are telling us that as opposed to just doing your exercise session and you feel that you have a bit of protein afterwards and your muscles are repaired, mm. they're still adapting 24 hours yes. after a session. How amazing is that? Oh, Every I time I hear it, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> protein right? synthesis is something that really fascinates me, looking at the graphs and the data. And mm. um, there was some research recently, and I was at a conference last week, that said that we should actually be aiming to get protein frequently throughout the day. I don't know how you feel about that as a kind of priority, because I know there's a lot of research that also says we're focusing too much on protein as a nation and that everybody is getting enough so mm. where do you kind of stand on that that front i think i think the first point is the muscle prefers to take up what we call pulses mm. of protein so that would be every three to four hours yeah. from our meals and our snacks so mm. for us we've got a great rationale of having protein as a base for each meal and snack as our first step yeah i think interestingly as well there's a lot of repair happening overnight yeah when we sleep when we sleep too so i think equipping our muscles to be able to repair overnight and Mm. the research group luke van loon's group in maastricht recently did an excellent paper showing that if you're feeding protein at the right times your muscle protein synthesis overnight can increase by 22 percent. that's incredible you're not doing anything you're asleep yeah (laughs) i think this is something everyone needs to remember to prioritize sleep as well and we'll touch on that because that's also yeah sorry for jumping uh, no it's good i think it's great um I could talk about this forever. I was wondering as well, what are the most common mistakes you see people making, nutrition mistakes? I mean, let's talk about athletes. What do they usually slip up on or what's the Mm. misconceptions? I think for me, I think there's a few. I think definitely the translation from athletes into the general public. I Mm. see that we're really well planned with our training. So if we look ahead at our week, we've got, let's say, you've got three training sessions planned in. Mm. I don't think we're as well planned with our nutrition. Yes. So which ultimately means what happens when you step outside the front door, you're, what you have in the morning, either a, you know, a slice of toast or a bowl of cereal quickly, yeah. going to that same coffee shop, it's more based on habit mm. rather than the physical demands of your day. Mm. And I think inherently, one of the things I've noticed now more in the public domain is that people tend to underfuel yes. during the day. So obviously when we're our most active, when we're walking around, when we're doing our training session. When we need the fuel. When we need the fuel to maintain our energy levels. That's the time where we're sort of thinking, you know, I just have the salad at lunch. I'm trying to lose weight. And inherently what's happening is 
we're then overfueling in the evening at the time where we're relaxed, mm. our energy needs are reduced. Mm. So I think primarily we're very reactive as opposed to being proactive and planning. Yeah. Our nutrition is that, is that basic first step, really. Yeah, I like that thought process. I think actually thinking about nutrition as aiding you throughout the day rather than panicking. And I think there is a big fear, though, and a lot of scaremongering everywhere. So the minute people step outside their front doors, they'll be mm. bombarded with messages from the media, from shop windows. Um, you can't go anywhere now without seeing a certain type of tea in a shop window. Uh, <laughs> I think, so true. Yeah, weight loss products are unfortunately everywhere. And it does really counteract the message you're trying to put out there which is food is an amazing fuel it's a wonderful thing mm. and if we touch on sleep and hydration what do you how does that tie into sports performance yeah and, and i just had you know one one thing that just popped into my yeah, mind go, what yeah. you said before rhiannon was i think you're exactly right because what we've got is almost like the halo effect right yes we've got the halo effect of these so-called healthy foods yeah healthy which we can't really quantify <laughs> you know what, what does it even mean sometimes i know oh, i ate avocado on toast oh wonderful <laughs> yeah w would you be pleased yeah absolutely delighted yeah yeah <laughs> and they're over almost overshadowing what we call the big rocks the, mm. the big rocks of our nutrition you know having the, the basic principles of our meals and snacks set up mm. so we're maintaining our energy levels mm. so our muscles are repairing mm. so we have the right micronutrients the right protection foods to support our immune system Touch on micronutrients for everyone. Yeah. This is something I'm. This is why I don't actually like methods like macro counting for yeah. mu much of the general public because I feel it eliminates all those vitamins and minerals that you get in fruit and veg, which unfortunately falls into a carbohydrate category, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So it, you mentioned immune boosting. Yeah, and, and it's funny because you're right. They're, they're so often overlooked. Mm. We talk so much about carbohydrate and protein, fueling and recovery. And we've got all of these little helpers, yeah. you know, our vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, trace elements yeah. that are helping with our cellular repair mm -hmm. and which are helping with our immune system. Mm -hmm. And I think they're often overlooked. So one of the things, again, what we try to do with our meal principles within the energy plan is to look at how we can build different portions of vegetables and which have functional benefits. Yeah. Because often, you know, what are we in the UK at the moment? 26% are hitting uh, five a day? It, it, it's shocking. 26%. That was NDNS. Yeah, the national. We have a survey every year for everyone that's listening that kind of updates us on how many people are getting, how much fibre they need a day, their fruit, their veg. And we're consistently not hitting it, which is really sad. Mm. And like you said, these protective elements of our diet are extremely important for longevity, you know, how long you live even. Absolutely, yeah. So maybe we are a bit small-minded in that area. And would you say, as a sports nutritionist, are you obviously very fortunate to have worked, you know, with the World Cup and some incredible, I mean, life-changing events, I'm sure. <laughs> Do you have the luxury of being able to prioritise, let's say, I want to get a bit of selenium in my player's diet or I want to get this micronutrient in? Do you have that luxury or is it a bit more basic? Oh, it's it's a really it's a really interesting question yeah. because I, I guess when you when you're working in a sports setting, there mm. is different monitoring that we would do mm -hmm. on players to understand their micronutrient status. Yeah. So, you know, his historically, when we're working with different chefs, if we've got a blood screen from a player, mm. we might know that some of them might be lower in, let's say, magnesium. Oh, so good to have that information. So that that's that's at times really nice. Or if we're tracking their iron status, we might speak to the chef and say, "Hey, look, can, for this player and this player, mm. can we look at adapting what we're putting out?" Out, the different meals to boost their iron. Because I read in your book that you worked with, is it Raymond Blanc? 
I've worked with Raymond Blanc before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that must have been incredible. I'm extremely jealous. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was incredible. Mm. He his attention to detail is absolutely immense. Mm. I was I was extremely impressed, and I, I think the example I gave uh, in that chapter was pretty much how it happened. Yeah, um, I, I just sort of tell the story. We were producing some post match food for our players. Yes. to to encourage our recovery and. We were consulting with Raymond on this project and we'd gone through all of these lines of developing the menu. Mm. Anyway, it came to the first tasting. Mm. So I had Raymond and all of his team lined up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and obviously he's prepared the food and yeah. he's got the tasting notes. And yeah. he said, okay, James, turns to me and says, what grade? Oh. And there was oh. this, this this moment of absolute <laughs> silence. I sort of looked at him and I thought, you can't go too high. No. What if he doesn't like it? If I, I go too low, he could be offended. <laughs> I went bog standard seven well done i think that i think that's good i think that was a good call and i read you also chucked in a um a fortified jelly to the mix as well when you were working with them i don't know if i got the right chapter there with that but you created some kind of dessert item with extra vitamins in it yeah that, so there's some really interesting stuff happening mm. now around tendons and yes. this is from a researcher called keith barr in the yeah. u.s doing some amazing work on modified tendons and looking yeah. at uh, gelatin and also vitamin c yeah so one of these uh, we call strategies you know mm. one of these plans one of these things that we give to athletes now we can combine these in different food yeah. shots because it's probably like we were saying before we're trying to make everything as food-based as possible yeah because obviously the bioavailability so for everybody listening you know if you eat food it's much more likely you're going to get the nutrition from the food than taking any pill yeah absolutely so mm. and i think as well you know on the, on the supplementation side We've, we've got so many issues. I don't even know if we want to wade into it. Do you know do we? what? I, wa- I want <laughs> to ask to? you about two things. So, right. as you've touched on with the gel- gelatin, obviously collagen is something I'm sure you're very clued up on. Yeah. And I see a lot on Instagram and social media platforms mm. that people advertising collagen-based drinks for the general public. I saw it at Fashion Week last year for the models. Or take this collagen water. Mm. What's your view on that? So I think with any any product like this, we look at the the quality of the evidence. Mm. And collagen for tendons is relatively relatively new on the scene. We've got yeah. a couple of very strong studies. Yeah. In terms of some of the studies around collagen for skin, hair health, and also the composition, even weight loss. Yeah, that's something that's been marketed for now. Yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not sure that I've no. seen any evidence to meet the standard <laughs> of of with the tendons. So yeah. I think you know until we're at a position where we've got good quality evidence. And a lot of these things are just based on marketing, aren't they? Thank you for confirming that, James. I think for a lot of people out there, collagen's not going to be a miracle cure for weight loss or anything like that. And yeah, then absolutely right. I'm skipping ahead because I really want to ask you about it. Um, BCAA drinks, branched chain amino acids. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, it's fashionable, it seems now, for an Instagrammer or a social media star to be seen with a can of BCAAs. Yeah. Would you like to explain to everyone what branched chain amino acids are? Yeah and why perhaps they're useful in some realms and not others. Yeah, so our branched chain amino acids, leucine, isoleucine and valine, mm-hmm. are three amino acids. And when I talk about amino acids, these are the building blocks that make our protein. Yeah. Now, they've become increasingly popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I think inherently they came firstly from bodybuilding. That would be the association mm-hmm. I know it from. Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. where they came from previously. Bodybuilders doing long sessions, and they would take branched chain amino acids during their session under the impression that this would enhance their muscle gains. Yeah. However, the research, as we were saying, the research with protein has come on so much more recently. Mm-hmm. And it's really looking at the total amount over 24 hours being the key driver to your muscle's adaptation. Yeah. So effectively, if we've got our protein needs right, let's say up and anywhere up and around 2 grams per kilogram of your body weight. Mm-hmm. That's 140 grams if yeah. you weigh 70 uh, kilos. Mm-hmm. Then adding these little extras, these little extra protein-based products 
aren't going to make a huge amount of difference exactly. at all. So mm-hmm. I think we need to be concentrating on getting the food mm-hmm. and also the timing of, yeah. of the protein right, first of all. Yeah. And again, if it's down to having a, let's say, a protein product, you would probably go for a plant or a whey-based protein, first of all, that will deliver you, let's say, 30 grams of protein a lot more efficiently than taking 10 supplements. Yeah. I think I read a stat somewhere. It's something um, like a handful of peanuts um, gives you more branched amino acids than some of the supplement drinks that are even out there. So it was really, really interesting to read. And it brings me on to protein powders. Yeah. Of course, they have a place. Of course, they're convenient. Um, What do you think about protein markets hitting the mainstream market? Um, yeah, oh, I've got, I've got, I've got so many thoughts running through my head, Rhiannon. I don't know where to start. Listen, firstly, I think it's really important that we classify these these protein, and and we're yes. talking now about dietary supplements. Yeah, and we're doing a piece of research at the moment with UEFA, um, writing the the guidelines for football nutrition. Great. So we've got lots of different experts, and supplementation is a real hot topic. Yeah, as it was for the International Olympic Committee. The reason why is we see a lot of contamination with supplements. Mm. This contamination could lead to a positive test for any of our athletes. Yeah. Which I just... That's horrendous. That's a career over as an athlete. Career over, mm. reputation in tatters, yeah. two-year ban. Ooh. And we know that through the studies of supplement contamination, this is anywhere around 15%. Mm. So one of the biggest surveys that was conducted uh, over in the lab in Cologne, 634 supplements... 15% contain oh. contaminants that would elicit a positive test. Shocking. 15%. Anything from steroids to pro-hormones, mm. even traces of glass. Mm. So I think one of these things now... Glass, uh, did you just say? Glass. Goodness me. Yeah, so I mean, effectively, we've got bad manufacturing processes that, that exist. And yeah. this isn't confined to sports. You know, we've seen numerous cases of liver failure from weight loss products, yeah. even death. You know, yeah. ho- multiple hospitalisation cases. Mm. So I think it's a massive issue. It mm. hasn't hit the mainstream in the UK yet. Mm. It's definitely going to. Mm. But one of the things I would say to, you know, to all the listeners really is I think we can't have detail with our nutrition mm. and care about the provenance, where it's from, the journey, and then in the same sentence say, oh, I just got this supplement from my <laughs> local health food store. Yeah. Doesn't stack up, does it? No, I completely agree. I think supplementation, always seek out professional advice before you embark upon anything. Mm. Um, most protein powders out there, they're convenient, they're okay in small amounts, but you don't need these things in your diet every day. They're not a necessity, are they, for people to perform well? No, you're right. And, and everything, we're talking exactly about supplementing your diet, mm. supplementing your nutrition. So it's about plugging a gap. Yeah. And, you know, the one exercise I tend to do with any workshop really is getting people to list their supplements and if you can't give a really good rationale as to why you're taking it you shouldn't be taking it right <laughs> it brings to my memory I've got, I've had so in my years in practice and in clinic the amount of clients that come to me and I've got one little question on my form of what supplements are you taking <laughs> honestly I could have someone wrote a whole separate A4 page for me with a whole list that a holistic practitioner had given them to take with powders and magic concoctions and I was amazed it's incredible and extremely negligent, I think, of some practitioners as well. And I think there's a real lack of understanding mm. of the downstream effects that a lot of these vitamins have. Mm. So actually, you're causing a lot more harm than good. I agree. If we're it's first a bit of saying a do no harm, exactly so. Yes. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, 
all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So for people out there that struggle with their energy, obviously mm. you have the energy plan. What advice would you give to somebody that's working in an office job and they feel a little bit low in energy in the afternoon? Is there any dietary advice you can give there? What would you say? Yeah, so I think this primarily comes back that, you know, the whole concept that we're talking about here within the energy plan just generally is about the synergy between activity, exercise and your nutrition, right? Mm. So I think we firstly got to start with getting your dose of exercise yeah. during the day. Yeah. And I love the term dose. I like it. It's prescriptive, but it, it's like, it's a good thing. It, it's good. And it doesn't yeah. have to be long. No. So, you know, I, I'll be really honest, Ryan, I don't <laughs> like the gym. I don't like lifting weights. Thank you for sharing that. I think that will, <laughs> that will set a lot of minds at rest. <laughs> so I just feel that um, often I think people feel compelled that they have mm. to go to the gym for an hour to lift weights. Yeah. And actually, one of the things that we can do is get our minimal dose in about 13 minutes, mm. the evidence is telling us now. Mm. So it can be a quick blast. And you can get your dose needed to get that resistance load for your muscles, yeah. which I think is amazing. And it lowers the barrier to entry, right? Totally. A hundred percent. And it's not just for people our age. It's for people who are older who might might not have ever been to the gym, might need yeah. to start and be more active. Yeah. I think that's a great way, first of all. So I think we start with the dose. Okay. This could be resistance and it, or this could even be for Going some people. Going for a walk around the block, power walk in the morning. hundred percent. Stop earlier off the bus before work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exa- exactly so. But, you know, to get active, first mm. of all. Okay, that's number one. And that's number one. And I think secondly is, uh, we, we said before, fuel for your day. Mm-hmm. So, and that means not shying away from having carbohydrates at lunchtime. Yeah, um, carb shaming is something that I'm amazed it's still here. It's still here in full force. And it's one of the biggest myths around nutrition that I struggle with. It's utterly amazing. And and of course, what we're saying is there are different types, right? Precisely. So, So we're not saying have lots of high GI sugary types of carbohydrates at lunch. You know, what we're saying is having have more of these lower GI, slower releasing type of carbohydrates, these grains that you can add to your lunch. I call it the two Qs, quality and quantity. That's nice. Really mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're talking about having obviously a balanced plate, really, not eliminating food groups, going mm. for a bit of movement. And if they hit that 4pm afternoon slump, um, let's touch on caffeine very quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Massive area. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of smiling because, you know, we, know. We, we, we're both we, grinning at each other. <laughs> there's, there's obviously a lot of detail there. And I think, you know, my, my thought around the caffeine would be use caffeine strategically. Mm. Because it's a real double-edged sword, isn't it? It is. You know, we know that from a workout perspective, it can improve your performance by up to 8%. 
mm. which is great. It can you know improve your decision making skills. Yeah. So for that that work meeting, for that project in the office, it can have great effects. Mm. But at the same time, if we're having it too late in the day or the dose is too big, it can reduce our sleep quality. Well, I read it has a 12-hour shelf life, so mm. it can literally stay in your system quite a long time. And it's a great ergogenic aid. As you said, mm. it's really good in order to fuel us. But is there a difference in people? Would you say different individuals? Do you see that are more sensitive to it? as opposed to others yeah we def we definitely see different sensitivities mm. in people and this comes down to a lot of these principles right which is trial and error exactly you know so trying these things on and people that get the most from performance nutrition i'm sure it's the same with your clients as well yeah. Rhiannon, are the ones that are curious that will try things on and refine what they're doing accordingly yeah. we're yeah. not talking about static plans here no we're no. talking about changeable things that they can, you know, they can track and refine. Precisely, because everybody is unique. And I will say, I think I end up saying that phrase on every single podcast, James. <laughs> we teed that one up, didn't we? <laughs> we did. We built it to that moment. Um, and what about plant-based nutrition? So mm. for athletes, a lot of people, Serena Williams, Lewis Hamilton, just to name some big names. Um, mm. Do you think it's a fad or is it becoming, well, it's becoming more popular with elite sportsmen? Well, what's your um, view on, on this? Yeah, I think plant-based eating within sport is reflecting society as a whole yeah you know it's not a separate ecosystem it's reflecting no. more of us more people choosing plant-based nutrition yes. and my view on a practitioner i'd be really interested to hear yours mm. uh, too rhiannon is that you know people will have different beliefs yes. and i think we have to respect those right i agree and following a vegan diet per se won't increase physical or sports performance mm -hmm. But shaping those, uh, shaping those considerations, mm -hmm. just like if you were gluten-free mm -hmm. or lactose, they still need to be. These principles still need to be applied. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about, for me, about respecting whatever anyone's considerations are around the nutrition, yeah. and still giving them the right structure for their nutrition during the day as well. I know it's very interesting because it's not a miracle for people, and I think a lot of people are associating the term of veganism as a magic answer to health and performance whereas mm. actually it may suit some people perfectly because it suits their beliefs their lifestyle and they may be more educated so they know how to get all the protein they need from their diet the volume of food they need to eat and it will suit right. them really well whereas for other people without that luxury it may not suit them well at all so mm. i'm with you there i think everybody has a right to choose we don't label anything we don't label food choices in the nutrition clinic it's whatever you want to be i will support you and help you get there so very interesting to hear it does it's not the be or end or to yeah, um right. to that so we talked about pre and post exercise meals but how much emphasis really is there on that and um, when it comes to the general public rather than an actual sports athlete yeah i think well inherently right during the day where your exercise and activity is your meal before and after it are probably the most important mm -hmm. because these really drive either your energy levels during the session or how your body adapts post-session yes. as mm. well. But this doesn't mean there's a one-size-fits-all. Um, and an example I could probably draw on here is that, you know how we'd set this up, let's say, in the sports team, whereas the players or athletes would turn up for a training session. On some sessions, the goal of that session would be to perform at their best. Yeah. It might be a hard session training-wise out in the grass or in the gym. So we want to make sure players are fueled. Mm -hmm. So in terms of this plate, this fueling plate we were talking about before, we'd make sure they have a serving of these lower GI carbohydrates. Mm. So they're going in fueled. Yeah. However, next day they might turn up to training and this might be a recovery session. Mm -hmm. They might be in the pool or just having a massage, pretty much doing next to nothing. Mm. The fuel demands are greatly reduced. Mm. So instead... As they're going through this process, they still need these maintenance foods. Mm. The fueling needs are really reduced. Mm. We don't need these carbohydrates at this time. So instead, we've got a more protein-based meal with our different micronutrients and some healthy fats. But we don't need the carbohydrate. 
Yeah. And, you know, the other consideration here, too, is that we mentioned this before. For a lot of people, they're looking to try and reduce their body fat. Yeah. So one of the strategies they might use is either to train fasted, Mm-hmm. which will help to prime uh, the fat stores to be used as a fuel. So that there's a bit of a um, controversial kind of topic there with fasted mm. training. Um, a lot of people say, there's a lot of research that says it makes no difference if you train fasted or if you had breakfast before. Mm. Do you think then that fasted training is going to be beneficial for people on a goal to lose weight? Well, there's a couple of important points here. Yeah. Right? So during the session, you we're talking about restricting carbohydrate. Yeah. So you can either do that fasted mm-hmm. or for a lot of triathletes at the moment or a lot of runners as well, they have a protein-based meal that mm-hmm. restricts carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. The effects are the same. You're still promoting the use of fat as a fuel. And yeah. there's a wonderful term in our metabolism called metabolic flexibility. Mm-hmm. And we use it a lot within sport to drive which type of fuel we prefer our metabolism to use. Yeah. And it can use both. Yeah. But you're, you're absolutely right, Rhiannon, with your second point, because mm-hmm. that's just the fuel use during a training session. Mm-hmm. If we're looking to reduce our body fat over the course of the day, we still need to be in a calorie deficit. Yeah. So we haven't just got this magic bullet of, <laughs> you know, training fasted or no. training... We call it training low and yeah. you'll lose weight. That, that, that's too simplistic. Yeah. And I think the other thing, the other consideration with this as well is if we're training fasted, this is okay once or twice a week, but it does increase the stress on your immune system. Yeah. It does increase the stress on your bones. And it changes for males and females. Absolutely so. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got this massive issue at the moment, which is just slowly creeping into the public domain, mm-hmm. which is REDS, relative energy deficiency in sports. Yeah. And we're seeing, you know, people training too much, taking an insufficient calorie intake, Mm. and this having a whole host of physiological functions from right from concentration coordination yeah. affecting bone health yeah. the menstrual cycle and well, other when you too. lack the estrogen from menstrual cycles that's when your bones are actually at risk absolutely right so for lots of women out there if you're not getting a period it's not a good sign and i see that a lot in my clinic with over exercising right really very very frequently it's mm. a big problem and you mentioned obviously being in a calorie deficit and of course mm. i often say if you're doing a corporate wellness talk in the nutrition team if one of us has mm. gone out to give a talk we always say if you are sat at your desk all day and you're not very active you probably don't need the same amount of food that you would have on a day when you are running around like a crazy thing <laughs> it's it, absolutely it right. is going back to basics isn't it now we actually have um a lot of questions coming in from followers today oh brilliant so i'm going to whiz through that one as well but actually before i've got one for you if mm. you don't mind please do do you find being in the world of um elite performance yeah that you get a lot of people expecting you have a magic pill or a magic kind of bullet. And when it comes to putting in the hard work themselves, do a lot of people realise that it, it, it takes that? Is there a big psychological component involved here that maybe athletes have over the general public, their willingness to succeed? Oh, I think we see differences here with the athletes and the general public. I think for sure. Um, sometimes we have different types of athletes who will come to you and say, look, James, I want to do everything with my nutrition to in order to perform better when yeah. I'm you know out on the pitch in the stadium wherever mm-hmm. it is and it's the same with the general public right it'd be yeah. the same with the people that come into your clinic you'll have those people that will say tell me what to do I'll do, I'll it, do it I'll monitor it mm. there's other type of people that we work with as well who are a bit more pre-contemplative they know they need to make a change but we have to motivate them exactly and I think this isn't really dissimilar to coaching 
Mm. Um, and, you know, and I think in the sports setting, we have the coaches that will coach the athletes in a technical way, yep. the strength and conditioning coaches that will coach movement. And I think with yeah. nutrition, there is a coaching element to what we do with this, be- you know, behavior change as well. I couldn't agree more. That's why I actually had to go on and I, I did a, a master practitioner in psychological approaches to oh, disordered brilliant. eating because I got to a point in my clinic where I had all the tools, but I didn't know how to address the concerns behind mm. them or how to implement behavior change. Yeah. So you're right. Um, so the questions from everybody else, I can't be selfish and take up all the time (laughs) so joe has said i always find it hard to focus after lunch i usually eat pasta but what should i be putting in my lunchbox instead well i I think let's go back to our our basic principles so if we're saying about lunch should really be a fueling plate and the fueling plate will consist of a a portion of a lean protein Mm -hmm. and then having a serving of lower glycemic index carbohydrates so It could be something like a whole grain pasta, a whole grain rice, a wild rice, or it could even be something like a quinoa as well. Yeah. Or even some lentils. So I would really say on that carbohydrate source, experiment. See like what that. works. See, you know, see what the see what the result is. And obviously then not you know, not um yeah. neglecting our protection yeah. foods that we mentioned before, trying to get Colour. two handfuls, <laughs> two different portions because you know, we need to find another way to connect with this, don't we? I love that answer, James. It's brilliant. Again, variety is the spice of life. Um, Dom has asked, I feel that, the, oh, this is the afternoon slump question. Right. I feel that the afternoon slump is really bad for me. What can I bring to work that's healthy instead of getting a packet of crisps? I think this question comes on from the last one. I it think does. this often stems from lunch, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm sure this is the same with your clients mm-hmm. as well, Rhiannon. And I think if we're if we're fueling our day properly, starting with breakfast and lunch, I think our energy levels are going to be better filled in the afternoon. Completely agree. I think if there is a gap, a protein-based snack, you know, mm-hmm. again, maybe some edamame, some low-fat Greek yogurt, using those two as a base, uh, we can work from those. But I think as opposed to trying to find this magic bullet mid-afternoon, I think we need to be looking at our breakfast and our lunch first. Yeah, it's not what we do over the course of a day, it's what we do over the course of a week, a year, you know, that impacts your health and how you mm. feel. Um, good answer. So the last question from follower is from um, Sophie. Sophie has said, every time I eat carbs, I swear I put on weight, I feel bloated. Can I be healthy without them? Can you be healthy without them? I would say this comes down to the type, Mm. I think. Um, So I think, unfortunately, we've got a wide variety of different carbohydrates. So I think there's a degree of experimentation needed here. And again, the other premise we were talking about before, the timing. Yeah. You know, so I think over the course of the day, I would encourage Sophie to look at, is this breakfast? The effects are more notable. Mm-hmm. Is this in the evening? And, and how is exercise affected too? And, totally, yeah. And I think the, the fundamental thing with all of this, like Rhiannon, is that we need some way of keeping track of, mm-hmm. of what we're doing. And this doesn't mean writing down scores or, you know, writing down uh, each our macros in our phone. That, that's not required. No. But it does mean every weekend, you know, just sitting down and checking in mm. with our body mm. and, and reflecting on... How do we feel? Mm. How was the last week? What changes that we made work well? And what have we got next week? Yeah. What are we feeling for? And I think then we start to learn a bit more. That's a lovely outlook. And I'll add to that with carbohydrates that mm. often you can retain a bit more water. So you might feel a bit puffy and um, that's just natural. It doesn't mean you're putting on any body fat at all. And also you might be very stressed when you're eating your food. Like what are you, are you eating when you're stressed out? Because that can obviously affect the digestive process. So thank you for those. Now we now have my favorite part of the podcast. Oh, right. Go on. So we've called it fact or fiction. Fact or fiction. Wow. <laughs> okay are you ready i'm ready it's a quick fire round okay eating carbs straight after workout um helps recovery fact if i do enough training i can eat and drink whatever i want fiction this is good cardio speeds up your metabolism fact 
Sports drinks hydrate better than water. Oh, context-dependent fiction. <laughs> you are the quickest answer yet, James. I don't know if I can say context-dependent. That's not right, is it? Fiction. No, I like it. It's really good. It's really good. Um, you need to eat more protein the more you work out. Yes. Weights will make women big. Fiction. A sauna will sweat out alcohol. Oh, fiction. <laughs> Sorry, I had to put it in. I had to put that one in. You can target fat burn on the body. Fiction, no spot reductions. There you go. You can't spot reduce fat. Sweating means you're burning more calories. Fiction. I love that because sometimes when I work out in the gym, I literally mm. feel like, oh, if I haven't sweat, then I haven't done a good workout. Yeah. And what if you're in the pool? There you go. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> where's, the, your, where's your feedback loop there? <laughs> the logic comes in. Yeah. Um, the last one, running is the best way to lose weight. Fiction. Thank you, James. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I know. I know. I love a quick fire round. And that nearly does wrap up this episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. Mm. So mine today. Our energy levels are um, and our health are basically reliant upon us treating our bodies well. So I thought I'd share my four really easy to remember principles and my four R's, which are a good place to start for anybody. So the first one is respect. So you and your body deserve the best. You make it a priority to see eating as an opportunity to nourish, which is what James and I have discussed in this podcast. And if you treat your body right, it will treat you right. The second one is refuel. Very, very important, as we've discussed. Don't waste your time being active without properly refueling because your nutrition, as we've demonstrated today, um, you really can't kind of out-train your way out of a bad diet. The third is rehydrate. So to recap, we've got respect, refuel, rehydrate. The human body is about 60% water, so it makes perfect sense that we keep our fluid levels topped up because that really does make a difference to how we feel and a lot of us are not drinking enough. And the final R is recover. I think it's one that's often forgotten about and it involves restoring your chemical and hormonal balance, your nervous system, your mental health and so much more. And I think to recap those four R's, James, if you could leave one thing for the listeners today, Mm. your food for thought, what would that be? So my food for thought is going to be quite top line. Okay. Uh, because I would challenge the reader to fundamentally change the way they're thinking about nutrition when mm. they're thinking about exercise and the course of their day. Yeah. And that's about using the food for fuel. Yes. I think performance is a word that we're often a bit too scared of. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, all of the listeners will be interested in improving their performance, whether that's at work, during training, or, or even at home with the family. So I'd encourage them to start building their day, to start using these different fueling and maintenance plates. But I think most importantly for me... Is checking in with your body once a week, mm-hmm. checking in with your nutrition, seeing how you feel, and then reflecting and refining each week as well. And I think that's how you can slowly build these nutrition changes and see changes to your energy levels and also perform better. Wow, that was really perfectly summarised. <laughs> James, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your food for thought and coming on the podcast. That's great. Thanks again for having me on, Rian. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. It's heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing nutritional advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love what's coming next week. So click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. I will always encourage a diet that is full of fruit and vegetables, yet 75% of us don't get enough fruit and veg in our diets, failing to meet the recommended five a day. 
Fruit and vegetables offer so much in the way of vitamins, minerals and fibre, which our bodies need to function at an optimal level. Mindful Chef recipes pack in the fruit and veg, with each recipe typically containing two or three of your five a day. To order a recipe box, check out mindfulchef.com forward slash food for thought, where you can save £20 across your first two boxes. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.